I have to confess that I had some difficulty finding an appropriate text for our theme this morning as we begin this series on the ways in which a rapidly changing world impacts our collective mental health. Because today's topic is rapidly evolving technological disruption. I mean, the scriptures are ancient, uh, and they have little to say about technology as we know it. The Tower of Babel, maybe, and its warnings of innovative hubris. The Garden of Eden and the Tree of Knowledge, its fruit forbidden to eat. The Book of Ecclesiastes with its proclamation that he who increaseth knowledge also increaseth sorrow. In the end, I arrived at this one, a familiar teaching of Jesus that we've heard so many times, a few times just this year, if I'm not mistaken. His exhortation to not worry seems appropriate for the beginning of a series about mental health, but more to the point, he speaks about the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, creatures of nature that live without any technology as we know it and seem to do just fine. For the record, I'm not really a Luddite. I'm not going to suggest that we all move into caves or an Amish enclave. Our innovations have, in many ways, been a boon to humanity. And I use technology all day, every day, from driving my car to checking the news on my phone. Of course, that doesn't mean that I should. Maybe I could stand to learn something from the birds. A reading from the book of Matthew. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who seek all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you and your creation. May they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It all begins 
with a squeak. My son, Levi, wakes me up because there's an annoying squeak in his room. My wife thinks it's a mouse. I turn everything upside down, trying to determine the cause, and I realize that it's actually coming from his desktop computer, which is admittedly pretty old. I open up the case to get under the hood, as it were, and I discover that one of the cooling fans has been gummed up by years of dust and grime. It gets stuck in its rotation every few seconds, and every time it breaks free, it produces this little squeak, as if voicing its own misery after too many years of hard labor. I get out my screwdriver and I remove the fan, thoroughly clean it, and bolt everything back together. Problem solved, no more squeak. Except that now, every time I turn the computer on, it shuts itself off again after a few seconds. Apparently, I've broken something. But like I said, the computer's nearly a decade old, so I figure it just might be time to put it out to pasture. Now that his computer is busted, Levi decides that he wants to play a game of Minecraft on his Nintendo Switch, the popular video game console. The trouble is, he has to re-download it from the online store, and Nintendo employs a Byzantine digital ecosystem that requires multiple accounts for different uh, services and family members. Minecraft also needs different passwords from Microsoft and the company that made it, and I'm not really sure which password he needs to download this game. This would not normally be a big deal, except that as some parents out there may know, the Nintendo Switch has this notorious widespread issue known as Joy-Con drift, where the analog stick on the controller drifts off to one side even when you're not touching it. So I'm trying to input the password on this thing, trying to guess what it is, and then trying to input it. And every time I, I punch in a letter, it drifts off to one side right at the last second, leaving me unsure of what letter I just typed. So I spent a half an hour literally wrestling with this thing, my frustration slowly growing to a fever pitch. Just then the doorbell rings as a package is delivered. It's the PlayStation 4 controller that my older son, Ethan, has been waiting for. You see, one of ours broke, of course, and he needs two because he wants to play Minecraft with me on a different system with a whole different set of passwords. And having finally resolved the issue on the Nintendo Switch, Ethan and I go to the basement, we fire up the PlayStation 4, and after some more password attempts and security shenanigans, everything's going fine for about 20 minutes before the other controller stops working. At this point, having only been awake for about an hour and already experienced at least three technical malfunctions across three different systems, I let out a loud expletive in front of my kid. <laughs> Not proud of it, but there it is. I decide that I need to go for a walk. You know, get some fresh air, touch grass, all that. So, I bring along a pair of wireless headphones so I can listen to music, <laughs> which turns out to be a terrible mistake. As I'm trying to get them connected to the Bluetooth on my phone, one of them simply refuses 
to turn on. This is especially aggravating because these things have been plugged in for days and they should be fully charged. Regardless, I take a deep breath, resign myself to the lack of stereo sound as I walk around the neighborhood. Within minutes, the one functioning earbud begins announcing over and over in its cold robotic voice, battery low, battery low, battery low. You've got to be kidding me. I remember that there's a Walgreens not far from my house, so I walk over there and I buy a pair of wired headphones just to be sure that nothing else can go wrong. Remarkably, these don't work either. Nothing works, apparently. I hear no sound at all. Even the parking lot, I realize, is eerily silent. But then I do hear something, quiet at first, but growing louder. It's the sound of my own laughter as I begin to cackle like a mad court gesture. <laughs> mental health is distinct from mental illness, though they overlap on a Venn diagram. The latter, as I understand it, indicates something awry in the brain's hardware, some proverbial fan that just isn't spinning properly. It's an internal cause that requires uh, an intervention of some kind, therapy, medication. Mental health, on the other hand, is impacted by external factors, the world around us, personal circumstances, economics, the political climate, the actual climate, and a whole host of other issues can leave us feeling on the fritz, as it were. As Keanu Reeves once said, a lot of people don't actually struggle with depression. They struggle with the reality we live in. Now, having actually struggled with depression, I can appreciate the difference. This church has long taken an interest in helping people who suffer from mental illness, most notably via our partnership with DePage United, who has succeeded in getting approval and funding for advanced police training and crisis stabilization units across DePage County, whereas the police have generally been left to deal with crises caused by mental illness and poorly trained to handle these situations. Now there are these crisis stabilization units where they can take folks that are experiencing some kind of episode other than at the ER or a jail cell. But in this sermon series, I want to focus on the broader issue of our collective mental health and the external factors that we all struggle with, the reality that we live in. That reality shaped by our politics, our economics, our ecosystems, our digital ecosystems, is undergoing a period of rapid change and disruption, at best, disintegration, at worst. The world we live in bears little resemblance to the one that most of us grew up in, as little as our reality will resemble this one, I suspect, in another 30 years. In his 1971 book, Future Shock, Alvin Toffler addresses the anxiety that comes from this rapid exponential change. To survive, to avert what we have termed future shock, the individual must become infinitely more adaptable and capable than ever before, he writes. We must search out totally new ways to anchor ourselves for all the old roots 
religion, nation, community, family, or profession are now shaking under the hurricane impact of accelerative thrust. Before we can do so, however, we must understand in greater detail how the effects of acceleration penetrate our personal lives, creep into our behaviors, and alter the quality of our existence. Again, this was in 1971, long before the advent of artificial intelligence or the internet. Since then, our world, as we all know, has become increasingly dependent on increasingly complex technology that does not always serve us well. And while some of it has undoubtedly been to our benefit, medical advances certainly rise to the top of the list in my mind, we have to acknowledge that it's also created a remarkable amount of stress and noise, irritating captchas and security measures, dozens of user accounts, endless streams of email, the constant alerts on your phone, the kids complaining they can't remember the Netflix password, your Amazon Alexa reporting the latest mass shooting while your refrigerator is trying to talk to you because it knows you're low on milk. Social media has made people more antisocial. Kids are addicted to screens before they reach kindergarten. And the internet has, in my controversial and unpopular opinion, been a net loss. Pun intended. I argue about this with my best friend all the time who says that we shouldn't throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. You might agree with him, and that's perfectly fine. But for my part, as much as I enjoy online banking and streaming music, I'm not sure that they balance out all of the damage, the constant barrage of information and misinformation, the demands and addictions that come with constant connectivity and availability, the hyper-complexity of big data, and the disintegration of the social contract. I can remember a conversation I had with my father back in the 90s about the internet. There's nothing on there, he said dismissively. It's just a fad. <laughs> the reality, of course, is that there's too much on there, right? Enough to drown in. I think the satirist and prophet of our times, Bo Burnham, expresses this better than I can with his song, Welcome to the Internet. I really want to play it for you in its entirety, but I can't because it's got a lot of bad words. But um, I'm going to play you the second half in just a moment. Uh, Burnham juxtaposes innocuous online content like tips for straining pasta and healthy breakfast options with graphic violence, sexual harassment, radicalization, and absurd conspiracy theories. Which Power Ranger are you? Take this quirky quiz. Obama sent the immigrants to vaccinate your kids. It's often been said that our brains haven't really evolved over the last million years or so, give or take. We're trying to navigate this confusing, disorienting, shifting landscape with the gray matter of a Neanderthal. We aren't physically evolved to handle the complexity of our civilization, no more than the people who build artificial intelligences really understand how they actually work. Whether you're trying to remember your Facebook password after you've been, you know, hacked a dozen times or 
trying to comprehend the geopolitics of Eastern Europe or the exponential function of climate tipping points. It's more than we can process all at once. I'm sure you've heard the statistic that the average person is subjected to the same amount of information every day as someone from the 15th century was exposed to in a lifetime. Wes Jackson, the biologist and environmentalist, says that we are a species out of context. Or as I like to put it, the world that we made is not the world that we were made for. I, for one, often feel like my kid's old computer chugging along, trying to perform complex tasks without enough RAM and an antiquated processor. It's a struggle to keep up. And I don't know about you, but it's enough to make me feel like I am drowning in static. A million pictures and noises all at once. It wasn't always like this, you know. Bo Burnham muses in that song. The Bible does not have much to say about technology, being as it predates anything more sophisticated than an aqueduct or a wine press. But it has a few things to say about anxiety and stress. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus kindly reminds us. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And consider the lilies of the field, he goes on, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Friends, perhaps we would do well to indulge in more analog experiences from time to time. Listening to a vinyl record album in its entirety washing the dishes by hand, spending a little time in prayer, listening to our bodies, our spirits, our God, spending a while in God's creation instead of ours, taking a walk without headphones or any phones at all, Maybe the sound of the birds is enough. They tweet too. They just don't expect the whole world to hear it. A couple weeks ago, uh, my friend Rex, who I had not seen in nearly 20 years, came into town for a short visit. And it was a beautiful day outside, so we decided to go for a walk at the Blackwell Forest Preserve. It was a lovely morning, the sky was blue, a gentle breeze rustled the grass, the sound of the birds echoed through the trees. Rex and I walked and talked for a good hour or so, caught up in old memories, laughing harder than either of us had in some time. It was good to be with a friend out in nature, in the world that God made, something I admittedly don't experience very often. And after about an hour or so, we decided to head back to the car, but it was then that we realized we had no idea where I'd parked it. What followed, friends, was a three-hour tour. We walked, and we walked, and we walked. We passed someone from church 
on one of the trails, and I told her that we'd gotten lost, but it's not like she knew where the car was parked either. If you don't see me on Sunday, I told her, send help. <laughs> Eventually, Rex got the brilliant idea that we could triangulate the position of the car by looking at our history on Google Maps and tracing our steps backward. I didn't think that was actually possible, but sure enough, he managed to ping the exact location using his phone, which was about two miles away. So it meant another long walk, but at least we knew where we were headed. Or so we thought. You have arrived at your destination. The phone chirped as we found ourselves standing deep in the woods, far from any road. I noticed standing there amidst the trees, completely lost, that the birds overhead knew exactly where they were going. Do we? Amen. <laughs>